This week's Escape Pod is brought to you by Sleep Phones, soft fleece earphones you can wear to sleep. Stay tuned after the story for a special offer, or go to sleepphones.com slash escape pod. Escape Pod 228 December 10th, 2009 Today's story, Everything That Matters, by Jeff Spock Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. If you are or were ever a certified Jacques Cousteau wannabe like me, you probably know what a fun and amazing sport open water scuba diving is. In this world where most of our lives are shaped by predictability, I can't think of a faster way to spark surprise and new perspective than by looking at it from the inside of a diving mask. There's a sense of wonder that accompanies doing something so unnatural, surviving in a place where you weren't meant to live, where the world is ghostly and quiet, a completely different place. It gives you space to think. It gives you a feeling of euphoria. It also gives you a slightly uneasy feeling, knowing that these oceans surrounding you are vast, ancient, largely unexplored, and throughout history full of badass marine predators, both massive and sinister. (laughs) But what better way to go, huh? Listen, you like science fiction. That's why you're here. Reading and listening to it are great, but we've got aliens in deep space covering 70% of our own planet. We know more about outer space than we do our own oceans. You should all be lining up to get certified so that you can throw on spacesuits and dive in. But wait till after this week's story first, because you're not going to want to miss this. Also, you'll probably short out your iPod if you take it with you. If you love giant, alien, kick-ass ocean predators, and you hate insurance companies, then this is the story for you, my friends. We bring you Everything That Matters by Jeff Spock. Jeff is a full-time writer of video games and speculative fiction. He attended the Clarion West Writers' Workshop in 2004, previous to which he spent over 15 years in the computer industry, always wondering if there was something more fun out there. He currently resides in the south of France. Check out his site and blog at www.jeffspock.com. And if you've got a Nintendo DS, check out Clash of Heroes and Ruse, coming out early next year. This story was first published as the lead story in Interzone 219, and it's read to you today by Jeff McKelly. So flex your webbed toes and get ready to go treasure hunting, because it's story time. Everything That Matters by Jeff Spock I was five meters down, and in the last stage of decompression when it struck. I hadn't seen it coming, I had been looking up at the sun's rays on the face of those olive-tinted alien waters. The thrill of discovery, the freedom of moving weightlessly. That's what I had been thinking of. Wham! A giant hand reached up from the depths and jerked me down. Valves in my eustachian tubes compensated for the sudden pressure change as I flailed. I felt a chill wave as my dry suit pumped drugs into me. I tried to roll and kick myself down to see what had happened, but my balance was off. I saw a dark trail in the water and traced it to the stump where I had just had a right leg. Fuck! An enormous flat darkness passed below me. It was a carpet of scales with incongruous fins. A great white run over by a truck. I had been attacked by a Cotanchic shark, the largest predator in the galaxy. There shouldn't have been one there. They're deep water, they're territorial. Abinay would have known it. He wouldn't have told me to search here. He 
It was coming back. Twenty tons, twenty-five meters, six rows of dull teeth. I yanked the emergency dongle on my buoyancy compensator. The BC inflated, blasting me straight up to the surface. The bends they can cure, I thought. Death is tougher. I scrabbled for the flare gun and fired wildly into the sky. I pulled the other dongle that spilled fluorescent chemicals and triggered a homing beacon. Where was Abinay's ship? I spat out the regulator as my drug-addled eyes closed in the too bright sunlight. I heard myself screaming again, but it was distant and distorted. Fucked. It struck again. My lower torso was gripped in a door-sized maw. I wanted a weapon, but my knife was on my right leg, somewhere in its stomach. It chewed as it swam, and I pounded on its wet leather skin. I slipped, and my right arm went into its mouth and came out shorter. I gagged on the blood-drenched salt water that filled my mask. More technology kicked in. Every closed cell in the dry suit inflated for buoyancy. The edges grew like a fungus to contain my fluids and close ruptures. Nanosyringes in the BC drilled into my aorta to supply oxygen. I was drowning, but the drugs kept me awake. The beast chewed methodically, working its way through my hip bones and the bottom of my spine. Not my cock, not my cock, I thought as I felt the nails-on-chalkboard sensation of my own bones being growled by cartilaginous teeth. I felt internal organs rupture, balloons of heat filled with nausea. Batteries fired electrodes to keep my heart beating. Another chill wave. Trauma drugs turned my rage into melancholic discontent. So sad. A spacecraft, a Wepper ship, had crashed centuries ago. The government had searched for it, but the seas, 95% of this planet, were too large, and the cost was too high. It had taken Abinay five years and a hell of a lot more money than the government. The Kotanchiks finally sawed me in half and my remains shot surfaceward, pulled by the inflated dry suit. I don't know how deep it had dragged me, but I spun forever on my way up. The cracked face of my mask splintered. I popped out arching through the air, trailing a long streamer of gut. The sun faded. I wept for my body, my temple. I remembered the adrenaline crack of the sails, windsurfing off Hukipa Beach, the exaggerated scream of the winch pulling me deeper as I free-dove off Toulon, the warm currents like breezes that caressed me wreck-diving in the Caribbean, the coconut scent of suntan lotion, the salt, sandy bodies of women. Everything was dark numb. Electrical charges triggered muscle contractions that would keep oxygenated fluid circulating in my skull. I bobbed directionless, cursing the drugs that kept me alive, the shark that had taken everything from me, and the investor who had hired me in the first place, for without investors there are no treasure hunters. I floated. I dreamt. Twice now in my life I had felt the rush of discovery, that ball-tingling sensation of glory. The first time was two years ago, on Earth. I had blown off 350 years of Mediterranean silt there. In the light of the spots, the piles of gold bars from the HMS Sussex had gleamed like so many golden fingers. And again, now, the lost unidentified extraterrestrial predecessors, Weppers, craft. Treasure found, but everything else lost. The smell of technology. Ozone plastic, disinfectant, Jesus Heitch, female, concerned, amen, shark, probably a Kotanchik's, ah, oh, look at the bite radius, male, 
nauseated. Brain dead? Of course. No. Check the suit out. Sounds of cutting, ripping, smell of burning rubber. Great stuff. Fibrillator, pacemaker, oxyboost, integrated compensator. Sure as bollocks not orange made. Look at the pharma kit. Shite, that'll be a messy blood sample. We're going to need a spectroscope to... Yeah, yeah, let's plug him up, shall we? Tugging, jerking, and the strange waves of nausea. I remembered the attack. Sport, sex, even basic mobility. Everything was gone. I had no stomach and I wanted to puke. I passed out. What did you say your name was? Abenay. I'm his next of kin. No, he's not, I wanted to say, but couldn't move my jaw or vocal cords. And we're arranging a private clinic. No, no, no. Got the CW-1086 forms? Paper shuffle. I don't trust him. Looks good. Leave your number. We'll contact you in eight, ten days. The MOEA will get the first shot at him when he can talk. Pause. Marine and Oceanic? Why? Standard. The poor bastard got nibbled by a Cotanchix. They want to follow up. Marine life management. Predator tracking. Silence. The doctor with the funny accent was in charge of my case. Australian. She had done a residency in Oran. I guess she had liked it because she had gone local in the way that only Ori's can. Her hands, and probably her feet, were partially webbed, and she had pale, vat-grown skin that would reduce heat loss in the water. I could see rows of ribbed gills as parallel lines beneath her scrubs, in the shape of thick, strong legs. Right, Mr. Russo, the lab has grown bone, skin, muscle, and a few meters of ligaments for you. We've managed to clone your internal organs. That's the easy part. What's hard part? My part. Neurophysiology. Connecting everything to the brain. Rewiring the nervous system, basically. You can? We can do a lot, Mr. Russo. Pete. Her translucent skin was both intriguing and repellent. Her hair was grayer than I liked, but she had a killer smile that she did with just a corner of her mouth. Okay, Pete. I'm Dr. Weber. But call me Maggie. Here's the deal. You'll certainly walk again, eating, basic body functions. All that should come back. What, a, what about... What about... Plenty of time to worry about the rest later. Abonnet came to visit. Charcoal gray suit with platinum pinstripes. Collarless cobalt blue shirt, matching platinum cufflinks. His skin was pale, but everything else was dark. Good afternoon, Mr. Russo. Mm. How are you feeling? Hmm. Thanks to the painkillers, I felt mostly warm. The MOEA will want to see you. We should come to an understanding. You want... lie to them? He adjusted his shirt and cuffs and looked up at the hexagonal white tiles of ceiling that were iridescent with the nanosilver disinfectant. I stared at them, too. But because I had to. No stomach muscles. He turned to me. Did you find it? His voice was a library whisper. Not question. Question is, can find again, yes. Not where you thought. His hands clenched, then relaxed. Very well. 
How? You not next of kin. I stopped. It was exhausting. He nodded slowly, then pulled a chair next to the bed. I have learned about you since your accident, Mr. Russo. He was whispering, close to my ear. You're not some danger junkie, beach bum. You found the Sussex. So, don't need your money. He grinned this awful grin, all teeth and no humor. Incorrect. So far, the medical work has cost 640000 And you know what? You were diving without permission or a valid license, using uncertified equipment. He put his lips right next to my ear. Your insurance doesn't cover this. I do, or I don't. I shivered. Suddenly it felt cold in the room, and the effort required to concentrate drained me. Why should I hide info from Marine and... You will have a common room, a different doctor. You will be a charity case, cheap materials, quick fix. What kind of body do you want to spend the rest of your life in, Mr. Russo? I closed my eyes. Working alone, I said. Attacked. No reports of Kotanchik's. Looking for cinder coral. Vukta's abalone. I waited for his reply, but when I opened my eyes, I was alone. Maggie removed the bandages from the epiderm on my right forearm, then stepped back. Blood pulsed deep red under the clear skin. I had become quality tenderloin. I watched the muscles and tendons work as I twisted my wrist and moved the fingers. In a way, it was cool. Mostly, it was repulsive. How's that? she asked. It works. I turned away from her. I had to get used to being ugly, and that was better done alone. Hey, it's okay, she said. It's a hard thing to do. No, 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 I'm... It's fine. She left, and I was lying in bed, squeezing a blue rubber ball, when two MOEA agents came in. A tall woman named Odeni, and a short man named Chusagi. Both had Ori modifications and wore green shirts, with the MOEA fin and trident on the pocket. We shook hands, though in my case it was more like fondling. The pleasantries were brief. Mr. Russo, she said, you have our sympathies. We understand that you suffered a terrible trauma. I gave her my best. Mm-hmm. It's our job to follow up on marine accidents, and as we understand it, you were diving without permits or licenses. MOEA takes this sort of thing very seriously. I've done over 1,500 dives, I said, and let that sink in. The number was astronomical for a guy my age, even for a professional. I've done free diving down to 80 meters. I've worked as a commercial diver and in commercial salvage. They were listening and nodding, concentrating on me while recording the conversation. Then you of all people should have known better, said the little guy. I did know better. They were acting like the shark was the victim, not me. How many people in the whole fucking galaxy could have come up alive, huh? How many would have had the technology and the experience and conditioning? If you want our congratulations, you got them, said Odenny. But we're more interested in what you were doing looking for cinder coral, okay? And Vukta Zappalone, if there are any along the shelf. But I have a question for you guys. Where the fuck did the Kotanchiks come from? They're territorial, right? 
Deep water? How was it? 40, 50 meters, believe me. If I thought there was a Cotantix around, I sure as hell would have stayed away. I remembered the slimy feel of its skin, and my new hand spasmed. We agree on the Cotantics. We want to figure out why the attack happened. We have their ranges marked. The nearest one should have been, oh, six kilometers away. I sat back. Fine. Let them go pester the damn fish. Mr. Russo, please just answer our question. What we were... Cinder coral. Vukta's abalone. We regarded each other for a few seconds. Mr. Russo, started Chusagi, can you tell us about the relationship you have with Mr. Abinay? I blinked. He and I, we have, uh, discussed salvage. More waiting. Cops do that everywhere. Try to make you uncomfortable with silence. Could you tell us more? I shook my head. You didn't deal with him when you worked on the Sussex? Huh? He's always been here on Orin, right? One of his companies is called Aqueous. You probably use their equipment. I had, in fact. They made state-of-the-art sonar, radio, and underwater signaling gear. Really? Aqueous? Sure, we use some of their stuff. I didn't know it was his. We waited some more. Companionable. Nothing else to say? They asked. I shook my head. My partner looks stupid, Pete, but I'm not. That was Odeni. Chusagi rolled his eyes. The only thing that Abane cares about is finding that Wepper ship. If you're in on it, you need to remember one thing. He does not like to lose. He does not like to share. I shrugged. Two things. Chusagi snorted. Look, Mr. Russo, we're not the bad guys. We don't want to see you get hurt. What? I laughed, which ripped some of my new stomach muscles and set off the painkillers. You're a few days late for that, huh? They were annoyed, but I was too drugged to care. After a whispered conversation, they got up to leave. Odeni paused at the door. Stay in touch, Mr. Russo. Sooner or later, we may look like the best bet for a losing hand. Hmm. I got the nurse to bring me the remains of my suit and B.C., and it spent some time picking through them. I wondered what I had taken on that dive. The dry suit was mine, a custom job from a shop in Antibus. But the B.C. had been Abinay's and one of his sight beacons was still attached to it. Everything was slick. Blood, guts, and mucus, or saliva from the shark. It stank. I bagged it and sent it as a care package to Odeni. I was using a walker to work my way across the room. A whole host of filaments and sensors ran from my neck to a ceiling track. They hadn't gotten to my skin yet, so I looked like a walking anatomy textbook. After four meters, I had to stop. Legs, chest, stomach, back, everything hurt. How's that, Maggie? She smiled. Great stuff. You're the star patient. This is unbelievable for six weeks. It's lucky you were in such good shape beforehand. Good shape? I tried to laugh, but I couldn't avoid the anger. I was a fucking god. Shit, my right leg hurts. She was working on a tablet, drawing and dotting with the stylo, as she regarded the monitors and holograms of my nervous system. The pain eased. Feel bitter? Of course I'm bitter. That fucking fish ate my life. I'm a geriatric, a geek, a gomer, I... No, better, she said. Feel better. Where I had skin, I blushed. Uh, yeah. Good, she said, looking at me. Look, there's something you might want to think about. It's the perfect time. 
Have you thought about ore enhancements? Chest? Gills? Heat conservation? A fish head? You think I want to be a fucking fish? I leaned heavily on the wall. It's bad enough I look like the garbage bin behind a butcher shop. You think... The look on her face made me stop. White skin glowed pink. I closed my eyes. Shit, I, I didn't mean... It's just that I lost everything. All I want is to get back as much as I can. She ran some more tests. Every set of muscles from my scalp to my toes flexed, one after the other. Weird. Her mouth was an angry, thin line. Pete, it's time to think about this. You have to face it. You won't have what you had before. Never. I stared at the floor. She walked over, grabbed my head with both hands, turned it, made me look at her. It hurt my neck. Say it in the mirror. Accept it. You will never be the same. You are going to be different. She let my head go. The question you need to answer is this. If you're going to be something else, what do you want to be? She finished checking me and left, offended. I worked my way back to the bed and fell on it. I hadn't considered the adaptations. It made sense. I could never face Zoe or Junko or Katrina in this Frankenstein body. Ditto the Cadiz Mafia, the gang that dove with me on the Sussex. Everything I ever was had been ruined, chewed, digested, shat out. Earth was nothing but faded memories of a life that was definitely over. I had no interest in being Pete, the rebuilt freak show from Orin, but the thought of Pete, who grew up in the sea and could now spend hours in it, that was something new, something amazing. I felt a weird feeling there, and I hadn't felt it in a while, and I dozed off pondering it. I felt hope. When I woke up, Abenay was there again. Mr. Russo. In the flesh, visibly. Are you in a mood to talk about things? Things? The bill is over a million dollars now. My philanthropy only goes so far. First, let's discuss Wepper ships. He shot out his cuffs, played with his cufflinks. Wepper ships have camouflage, not visual, like a chameleon, but electromagnetic. If you go looking for them with radar, or an electromagnetic pulse, the ship registers the direction and frequency of your incoming signal. Knowing what its background looks like, the ship returns a signal on the same frequency, with a picture of that background. All you see is the ground, or the stars behind it. Simple, efficient, effective. Easily done with quantum computing. Understood? I nodded. But they can't camouflage themselves against vision. It's passive. There's no incoming signal. So, the way to find the ship that crashed on Orin is to try to guess where your signal has been faked, and then send a dive team down. Why not cameras? They need batteries. Maybe. Who knows? They don't work. If they did, you and I would have never met. And wouldn't that be sad? He gave me a dismissive gesture. Let me ask you something, Mr. Russo. Why didn't you drop the beacons? He had asked me to do that several times, when I sighted the wreck. I was off the edge, no point in dropping them in a thousand meters of water. So what? You know where I was. Why don't you go take a look? He leaned closer. You see my eyes? These eyes? He opened them wide, staring at me. 
$8 million. I can see from ultraviolet to infrared. Read your pulse, your blood flow. They're lie detectors. Nobody reads people like me. He stood up, kicking the chair aside. Nobody can touch me in a conference room, in a board presentation. I own every negotiation before it even begins. I read an audience the way you read the waves. He put a finger to one eye and tapped on it. I flinched for him. But they're active. I can't see a Wepper ship. I nodded. Still one question, though. Yes. Why the Kotanchiks? I wish I knew. I'm paying three marine biologists to figure it out. Hmm, so he says. Mr. A, would you be willing to front the costs of my getting Ori adaptations? He didn't need to reply. I saw the gleam in his eye. Why, Mr. Russo, what a novel idea. What an expensive idea. I waved my hand. You can take it out of my share. So... You want me to fund this in exchange for what is currently 10% of nothing. Oh, it's 50% of something. We smiled at each other. I watched as his pupils dilated, shrank, turned iridescent. Very well. Here's to a profitable partnership. We shook hands and he left. I sighed, loud and long. The adaptations made sense. Maggie was right. After that meeting with the Kotanchiks, everything was going to be different anyway. If I became a fish head, it could be, just maybe, in some ways, even better. I had never before been in a place as amazing as that goddamn hospital. Three days later, Maggie brought in a specimen transport box the size of a small suitcase. I was sitting up, mastering the Herculean task of eating fish steak with a knife and fork. My fingers slipped on the knife and ached doing it. I didn't notice her at first, because I was reading a note from Odeni about the beacon Abenay had given me to mark the site. "'Why are you grinning?' I asked. She flipped open the catches and gave me a peek inside. Refrigerated in the moist foam was a penis. "'Used to be bigger,' I said, hope leaning within me. "'Not according to your DNA,' she said, smiling. She lowered my bed to horizontal. Two people dressed in scrubs came in, wheeling equipment. Disinfectant misted the room. But you can keep the catheter if you prefer. Very funny. Look, Maggie, I've been thinking. Hmm? Her mind was elsewhere as she prepared her computers and filaments. I think I'd like to try the enhancements. Those nimble fingers, so adept with fiber optics and probes, paused. Really? Yes. Well, we can start with the gills. They're the most important. And take the longest. Insurance won't cover it. That's okay, I said. For the moment, anyway. Great stuff. She nodded abruptly, pausing in the preparations for stapling my dick back on. She looked at me. Great, she said again, quietly. It felt stapled. For three days the pain was excruciating. Maggie said that she could deaden some of the nerves, but that sounded like a bad idea. When the pain eased, they went to work on my chest, which also hurt. In a moment between bouts of surgery, I called Odeni. We were hoping to hear from you. What's up? The Kotanchiks. They're sort of tribal, right? How do they communicate? Huh, well, loose family groups. There are things out there bigger than they are. 
I shuddered. She kept talking. They use ultra-low frequency ULF waves. They can't speak quickly, but they can do it over kilometers of ocean. There's lots of info on the MOEA site. I'll check it out, but I still have a question. Big question. Why was it there? Could Abinay have called it? She pondered for a few seconds. Huh, hard to say. I guess it's not technically impossible, but linguistically, all I can say is maybe. Or let me put it this way. When you find out, let us know. <laughs> Thanks a ton. Hey, one other thing. Where did you cross the Hapala? The what? It's like free-drifting anemone. A Hapala. Looks like a big shaggy blonde wig. Kotanchiks adore them. You had secretions from it all over your B.C. Ah. Yeah, maybe it came in from the trench to the shelf. Maybe, maybe that's where I crossed it. Like hell, I had seen nothing at all like that, unless the trauma had really screwed up my memory. Could you send me a sample of this stuff? Sure. Thanks. By the way, where do you guys stand on this? I asked. Discovery? Salvage? The law on salvage ops is crystal clear. It has to be declared and permits have to be filed. Sounds simple. Let me shatter your illusions. Ownership of the Oran Seas is a technical nightmare. Have you ever seen a map of an electoral district? Insanely chopped up little blocks of real estate. It's like that, but in three dimensions. No, actually four dimensions. It changes over time. Well, if a lone diver, casually swimming about, comes across something, I could hear her smile. They come back, fill out the forms, and get their fair share. So I throw myself on the mercy and charity of the government? Do you have a better idea? Actually, I didn't. When the procedures were finally finished, I decided to ask her out. Maggie? Hmm? She was in charts and technology mode, testing the flex and control of my newly webbed toes. I want to celebrate. How about dinner one of these nights? You and I? She pretended to be doing something, but her stylo had stopped. I couldn't see anything beyond her gray hair because her head was bent forward. Let me think, she paused. You like barbecue? Do I? I love it. Can the stomach handle it? We'll see. Your schedule's fairly open, right? Sure, as long as the doctor lets me leave. Tomorrow? Super. Hot damn. A date. Like most Ori's, Maggie had an underwater apartment. The lobby had an entry airlock and lots of glass. I descended in a transparent elevator whose lights illuminated the gray-green water. Clouds of glittering flea-like creatures chased the lights. Larger things that looked like finned yellow scorpions came to feed on them. Wow, I found myself thinking, what a beautiful planet. She greeted me at the door of her apartment, wearing a green knit dress and not much else. She seemed shorter and stockier than she did at the hospital, but rounder and more feminine too. She stood on her tiptoes and gave me a brief kiss, and I felt, for the first time in ages, a stirring in my crotch. Please, 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 I thought to myself. I had brought a bottle of champagne and after a half a glass had to sit on the couch. New liver, she said, smiling. It'll take some time. Mild as it was, the sauce on the fish was still too hot for me, and I had to scrape it off while she laughed. I regaled her with stories of Thai beef salad in Bangkok, 
so hot that it made me hallucinate. Not medically possible, she said. Just wait. When I'm back up to speed, I'll make it for you. After dinner, she had a brandy while I just sat on the couch, letting my stomach work. On the TV was a looping picture of Maggie with a guy, laughing in bathing suits on a beach. It seemed so alien, this vision of white sand and blue sky and yellow sun and tan skin and colorful clothing. My world was only white and green and gray. Who's he? She looked at the picture, her head cocked. I'm not sure that I know anymore, she said. Where does he live? On earth. He's there. I'm here. Really? Where on earth? He's there, she repeated. I'm here. I figured that it was a good time to shut up. I turned my attention to the picture window. The balcony was an artificial coral reef, and we lay back on the couch, watching the fish in all their flickering beauty. I kissed her slowly and carefully, the coolness of our ori skin and lips fascinating and new. The dense muscle of her ori-enhanced thighs was firm and sleek. I thought of seals and mermaids. We undressed hurriedly and awkwardly. I wasn't used to moving like that, but I was willing to put up with the pain. I went down on her, and she on me, to no avail. We tried body massages, hand lotion, and even inserting my limp dick into her. None of it worked. My cock sat flaccid, uninterested. No amount of joy or desire seemed to interest it. She still seemed to have fun, and held me afterwards. I thought she was asleep when I started crying, but I guess I woke her. God's sake, Pete, don't worry about it. Easy for you to say. Shut up. I know these things. I'm the doctor. It's a pretty complicated combination. Hormone, muscle, erectile tissue, emotions. It'll take some time for your body to sort all that out. Huh. Huh, back at you. Look, it would have been something close to a medical miracle if it had worked. But it should work. It will work. We, you just need time. I watched a fish that looked like a metallic green shuriken arc past a window. How long? Three months? Six? Six more months in the hospital? Fuck, I don't think I can... Forget the hospital. I'll release you tomorrow. Do you have anywhere to go? I thought she might offer that I come to her place, and I didn't want that. Or, more accurately, I wanted it more than anything else, but not until hot water circulated in my plumbing. Yeah, I have a place to go, I said, thinking over options. Don't worry about me. She snuggled her head against my neck and said something that sounded like I might anyway. I left the hospital the next evening by taxi, after a final set of checkups. It bobbed away from the dome of the hospital complex, then lifted on hydrofoils and raced off to a V-shaped pattern of lights at the edge of town, Abenay's Villa. His setup made the most modern hospital on Oren look antiquated. I had a private room, a private physical therapist, and a doctor. I swam four times a day as I worked my strength back up and practiced with the gills. In between those sessions, I walked through virtuality maps of the area that I'd been diving in, triggering memories. I studied the sea life, currents, charts. I was in my element. It was a surprise and pleasure when Maggie called. Hey, how are you? I asked. I was going to call you after... After you went and did something really stupid. You're not ready. Hey, it's my life. 
Don't tell me what I can't do. Look, you idiot. I'm not only a doctor, but I'm the only person on the planet who gives a damn about your welfare. Your therapy's not finished. I'm doing it here, the medical facility. I'm sure it's top-notch, but how do you know the doctors will say you're ready based on your condition and not Abenai's demands? Can you trust them? Her voice was not just angry, but worried and uneasy. What? He'd never... Of course he would. Okay, you're right, he would. And me? You trust me? Of course I do. Absolutely. Still, we shouldn't have... She let me hang out there, waiting to hear what I would say. Hard ass. Look, it didn't work out. I'm sorry. What didn't work out? You know what I mean. The old purple-helmeted love soldier slept through the reveille. Jesus. Guys. Look, I had a nice night. I would even do it again sometime. That's the whole part. It's not the most... Shite. Her voice was wavery. Not at all, Maggie. I had absolutely nothing to say, so I said it. I heard her take a deep breath. Pete? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Take care. Will I? Will you be back to the hospital for a checkup? Yeah, of course, I said. Her words finally sunk in. Really? Yes. Bye. I hung up the phone and wandered in a daze along shag-carpeted hallways that smelled like Mediterranean herbs. I understood nothing. Not me, not Maggie, not what I had or hadn't lost. Zero. But somebody had figured out something, because Abenay caught up to me about an hour later. I was standing at the undersea window, watching a flock of rays glide past. They looked like birds, flying and banking with liquid ease. Dr. Burke informs me that you're ready to dive. I didn't have to feign enthusiasm. It's about time. When do we go? Tomorrow. We'll take the launch out to where you... Out to the site. I slept badly, and the day dawned gray. We left after breakfast on a hydrofoil launch that required no crew. I thought about Maggie, but also about Odeni's words. Only Abaday and I would know where the site was. An hour or so later, we hove to, bucking in the waves. Abaday accompanied me down to the tail of the launch, real actual teak from Earth, and watched me prepare. I pulled on dry suit leggings over thermal underwear. A custom jacket, open over the ribcage, went on next. Then my weight belt, a new knife, several pouches of gear, and the fins. Abaday held out a BC, identical to the one I had worn before. I pulled out a bottle that contained the Hapala extract from Odeni. Cotantic repellent, I said. Got it from the MOEA. I smeared it all over my BC. Where's your BC? When you come down, you'll want to be protected. He was regarding me, carefully. I turned away from those eyes and slipped the BC on. My jaw clenched as I thought of what I was going to do. Come on, I said. Give me your damn BC. You don't want to risk this. He pulled it out of a built-in locker that was a perfect, seamless white and handed it to me slowly. I grabbed it and smeared on the extract. You can thank me later if this saves your life. I checked the camera clipped onto the BC's left shoulder and the beacons to mark the site. See you in an hour, a billion bucks richer, I said as I forced a smile. We nodded goodbyes and I stepped to the ladder. 
The water was cold, colder than the sea near his villa where I had been practicing, but it felt great, salty, invigorating. I put on my mask. As the sea rose to my torso, I began to move my new sets of secondary muscles. A cool, clean flavor spread across my chest as I began to gill-breathe. Righteous. Abonet handed me a communications filament, and I attached it to the suit. Thread-thin and essentially unbreakable, it would network all of my gear with the yacht. I put in the regulator and fell backwards. More fish than man, I ignored the drive to breathe, letting the gills do the work. I pulled the sea sled off the fantail and flicked a switch. The electric motor whirred to life. Silent, motionless, breathless, I descended. It was cold and darker than I remembered. I dropped through a school of gold-scaled flatfish who formed a frightened bagel around me then zipped off. Great sheets of algae marked a thermocline at 25 meters, and masses of little crab-like creatures swarmed on them. In the light of my lamp, they looked violet and yellow. I checked my GPS and depth gauge. Lower I went, into darkness, where I stopped even the occasional breaths from my regulator. I let it trail behind me, unwanted, as I gilled the oxygen-rich waters. I already trusted Maggie's adaptations more than the technology that I had been using all my life. I saw fluorescence, which meant that I was near the bottom, near the shelf where the seafloor dropped, from seventy meters to hundreds and thousands. Luminous plants and the animals that lived on them thrived there, in the mingling of cooler and warmer waters. Visibility was good, but not great, about ten meters. The fissures and rocks were unfamiliar. I checked the compass and the GPS again and swam east. It took fifteen minutes to find a hand-shaped rock formation that I remembered. The sled pulled me around the far side. Bang! There it was. Years of sea growth had covered the zeppelin-like form with strange appendages. It was twenty meters in diameter by sixty in length. Veins and fins of inexplicable purpose spiked out. Two fat tubes hung from the cylindrical body over the side of the shelf and down into unfathomable depths. Suspended between awe and glory, it took me a long time to hear the crackle of the phone, fed down the filament that trailed behind me. Is it there? Have you found it? I put in my regulator so I could speak to him. I'm still looking, I said. But you're on the bottom. He knew exactly where I was. Hold on. Drop the beacons and turn on the camera. Drop the damn beacons. If you insist. I nestled the sea sled next to one of the fins, then planted a beacon at either end of the craft. The beacons were the key. They marked the site, but also interfered with the Wepper camouflage. As soon as the second beacon was down, strange noises emanated from the speakers nestled into my hood. Oh. Oh, so beautiful. It's enormous. Enormous. Bigger than the station they found on Adonis III's moon. Oh. This went on as I swam, looking for the Kotanchiks. Oh, my. Oh, Yes, oh, um, Mr. Russo, could you take a swim around the perimeter? I'd like to get clear images of the craft from all angles. I tried to remember how long I had been down the last time before the shark arrived. I hurried to finish the tour. Well done, Mr. Russo. Brilliantly done. The investment in your rehabilitation has been amply repaid. Do you mind collecting a few samples? I'd like to run some tests on them. I was sure he had lots of meaningless tasks to keep me busy until the beast got there. Even so, I was staying. This was not scientific, 
or financial. This was personal. I swam, breathing through my gills. Something that looked like an inflated blowfish drifted by on the current. I couldn't identify eyes or a mouth. I followed its path over the wreck as it bounced and drifted aimlessly in the direction of the city, fifty or so kilometers away. I turned my head back to look over the shelf. The Kotanchiks was there. It had come from the north, out where the ocean went deep and black. In the limited light of the ambient fluorescence, its mouth was a great black-tooth-lined semicircle coming for me. Not this time. I doused the camera as I kicked and moved out of its attack line. Sorry, Mr. A, I said. Snag the camera. The head seemed to fold, and the rest of the body followed in its path as if around some invisible obstacle. I kicked it again, and it followed again. There were now two folds in the body, and the long lateral fins moved as the body followed precisely in the course set by the head, straight across the wreck, then up, then sideways. It was long, fluid, and beautiful. It turned corners like a ribbon. I could never imagine beauty to be so terrifying. Mr. Russo, is everything okay? Just fine, I gasped. And I had the advantage of two oxygen sources, gills and regulator. The way I was swimming, I needed both. No sign of... danger? He asked innocently. I was too busy to answer. It looked like a good guess that Abonnais beacons had summoned the Kotanchiks. Combined with the hapless secretions on the BC, it was as close to a death warrant as you could concoct on Orin. I kept swimming, taking sharp angles, kicking as hard and fast as I could, my new legs boosted by the best fins that money could buy. I felt the scales of the shark brushing my calf, removing a layer of skin. I turned, it turned, another fold. Nope. Coming down? What? You're sure? Twenty-five meters? Short sentences. Breathe. Billion teeth? Breathe. Not here? Kick, not fast enough. Shit. Kick, angle around a stalk of coral, through a too small hole. Enormous gash down my right arm. Fold. The Gotanchiks couldn't follow, so it angled up, to the side, looking for a new trajectory. I'll come up if you don't want to. Wait. The ultimate bait. No way he wouldn't take it. I checked the gauges. Yep, he was on his way down, following the communications filament. My feeling of triumph was cut short by something jagged touching my leg. Fuck. Kick. It got a piece of my swim fin. I lost power, and the gouge in my fin made me cut a sudden arc when I kicked. It missed me. Fold. One arm at a time I shrugged out of the BC and the tank, then jerked the emergency inflation dongle and punched the panic button that would reel the communication filament back to the launch. The whole bundle snapped upwards on an angle. Kick. Muscle cramp. I spun into a ball. Fold. That mouth came into view, gaping wide, and suddenly I was calm. I had rolled the dice and it came up snake eyes. That's life. Well, at least this time I had my knife. I pulled it, ready to take a piece of shark with me. Fold. It followed the bundle with the BC. I kicked after it with my good leg. I could dimly see the bundle when suddenly the Kotanchiks turned away from it. What? I was sure that... A jagged scream that went on and broke through the speakers. I stopped swimming. The Kotanchiks disappeared from my sight, like some flat javelin on a perfect trajectory. I gave myself slight negative buoyancy, drifting back down to my sled on the wreck. The noise in the speakers had stopped by the time I arrived. I slapped medical tape on my arm and leg. 
Damn Ori's skin sloughs off too easily. I took a few deep gills, letting the oxygen and the cool water calm me down. About 45, 50 kilometers, I figured. It would make for a few cold hours, even with the sled, and the odds weren't necessarily in my favor, but I didn't care. I'd make a stop at the MOEA to report the wreck, and then, well, as long as I could work things out with Maggie, I'd have everything that matters. Well, after that story, I sure as hell have everything that matters. This story to me was like Christmas a month early, and then mixed with Shark Week. A rump-a-bump frickin' bum. God, I hope Santa brings me some Ori upgrades this year. All I want for Christmas is my two webbed feet. On the other hand, I'm sure there's a high price to pay if you become an odious, misshapen, fish-human chimeral abomination. And I'm sure that price will go down big time if you can just wait till they go on sale after the holidays. On a related note, I actually wrote a song about falling in love with a girl who's slowly turning into a fish. It's a shout-out to H.P. Lovecraft and his story A Shadow Over Innsmouth, called A Heartache Over Innsmouth. I wrote it in order to celebrate H.P. Lovecraft's birthday this year and ran it on the Travelcast. Since we're all aquatic and gilled this week, I thought I'd snap it on the end of this show as special closing music. Hope you enjoy. Hey folks, Steve Ely here. We're sponsored this week by Sleepphones.com. We hear from a lot of our listeners that they like to listen to us when they go to bed. I'm not going to delve too deep into what that says about our stories, but if you're going to listen in bed, you should be comfortable listening in bed. Sleep Phones is a really cool idea. A soft fleece headband with removable earphones that'll stay on comfortably all night long. They're the kind of company I really like, too. The CEO contacted us. She's a doctor who was sewing these herself and selling them on Etsy until it got too big for one person. The fleece is from 88% recycled plastic bottles, it's all American-made, and it's clear these are real people making this product because they like it. If you're looking for a Christmas gift for a podcast listener you know, I think this would be a fun one. And if you go there via our promo link, sleepphones.com slash escapepod, one customer between now and the end of December will receive a free Escape Pod t-shirt. That's their special offer because they like us. So you can look good in bed as our stories put you to sleep. Once again, that's sleepphones.com slash escapepod. And hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, you'd be doing us a solid by donating to us via the support options on our website, escapepod.org. It'd be highly appreciated, and it's utterly necessary to keep paying our authors for their work, amongst other costs involved with maintaining a weekly, high-quality podcast, which you can copy, distribute, do whatever you like with, aside from profit from or change, because it's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Whew, run on sentences. Gotta love them. Our opening music was used with permission from Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from underwater explorer extraordinaire Jacques Cousteau, who said, The best way to observe a fish is to become a fish. I met this girl, and I really thought she was the one, you know? But then she joined this esoteric cult, and everything started to change. I felt like I hardly knew her anymore, with all the chanting and late-night rituals, the sudden appearance of gills above her clavicle. I told her one night, Baby, I'm sorry, but it's either Dagon or me. And she made her choice. I was the new kid in school. 
A first-year freshman theosophy major at Miskatonic U Wandering through my life in a daze there until I met you And your bulging watery eyes Felt like I was tied down with my insides Hanging out like a human sacrifice I asked you on a date In a croaking guttural whisper You said pick me up at eight I remember how your hair and your spine curled And your shambling gait Baby you had me from the start Hideous gods, they'll never keep us apart Cause you're my quasi-Ichthian angel You're my half-amphibian queen You're the overlord of my universe You're the tormentor of my dreams You're my starry-eyed web-foot wonderful You swallow my sanity You're my fish frog sweetheart, baby, let me be your filthy gibbering lunatic priest. There was magic in the air. The first time I ran my hands through your patches of stringy yellow hair. The first time I kissed your blistering lips When you whispered in my ear That you would be mine But when you finished transforming You were out the door And you never even said goodbye Here I am today While you're swimming in some non-Euclidean Sunken city named Rulier And there's a cyclopean hole in my soul Tormentor of my dreams You're my story I went for 
Of my dreams, you're my story. I'm 